Welcome to the Greener Way podcast, a show about people, planet, and purpose, and how investors and corporate leaders push forward in a complex world. Jane Ambashir, thank you so much and welcome to the Greener Way. Could you introduce yourself to the audience and explain your role at BNP Paribas Asset Management? Hi, well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here today. I am responsible for sustainability within BNP Paribas Asset Management. So most of that is focused on what we do as an investor, but I also oversee our own internal focus on on walking the talk and, and making sure that we're living up to what we're asking companies to do. And so what does that mean, Jane, particularly in regards to um, your view of climate risk, both on behalf of your clients and internally within the business um, and your own net zero commitment? Sure. Look, we've been working on our net zero commitment uh, for quite some time. And it, it's really, I think, the culmination of many years of work on, on climate, which has made it a little bit easier, but it's, it's still pretty challenging, um, of course, for, for everyone working on this topic. So we'll be releasing our formal commitment around COP this year, um, but I'm happy to talk you through kind of the yeah, shape please. of it and the different categories. If, if I'd love helps. to hear that preview, Jane. Let's get into it. Sure. Okay. So we're putting our commitments into um, a few different categories, and there's actually 10 of them. We call them the 10 commandments. Uh, so five of them relate to investment, three of them relate to stewardship, and two of them relate to our own operations. If we start from the investment perspective, um, there's a few angles. So the first is around decarbonization, right? And if you look at the number of, of asset managers that, and asset owners that are committing to net zero, most of them, you know, are including some kind of decarbonization commitment. And, you know, we were signatories to the Montreal Carbon Pledge. I think it was back in 2015. We've been embedding um, some of our carbon footprint disclosures into fund fact sheets. So it's something we've been working on for quite some time. And actually, in 2019, we um, included an objective in our uh, ESG integration guidelines, asking all of our portfolio managers to, to beat the benchmark or beat the universe on carbon, which has really been more transformative than I ha had anticipated in terms of getting um, managers to really pay attention to those numbers. And it's really helped us on our decarbonization journey. So part of it is that, you know, kind of classic, you know, backwards looking decarbonization metrics. So we'll have a commitment around that. Um, but we'll also have a forward-looking commitment, which is around how many companies in our portfolio uh, are what we're calling AAA. So we have a net zero AAA framing, which is really leveraging on the Paris, um, you know, Paris Aligned Investment Initiative. So AAA is companies that are either achieving net zero, aligned with net zero, or aligning with net zero. So that's more of a forward-looking metric where you're saying, okay, how can we you know, put thousands of companies across our investment universe into these buckets, right? Achieving aligned or aligning net zero or other. <laughs> so we'll have a commitment around you know, what portion of our assets, our in-scope kind of corporate assets for now are AAA. And we've mapped a whole bunch of data sources. So looking at EU taxonomy, um, you know, climate aligned SDGs, we have, you know, we're piggybacking on the SBTI implied temperature rise tool that we've, you know, fed with with um, carbon emission estimations from CDP. So really using um, some of the TPI data. So really using the data that's in the ecosystem that we all have access to really focused on trying to um, you know, tap into kind of science-based <laughs> indicators um, to come up with this AAA framework. So that's a, a bit of a forward-looking mechanism. So those are two of the investment commitments, you know, backwards-looking decarbonization, forward-looking alignment with, with AAA, and then a commitment around continuing to increase our range of climate-aligned, climate-themed, uh, environmental strategies and solutions, whether it's green bonds, you know, um, 
ecosystem, uh, restoration-focused typed investment strategies, biodiversity, water, circular economy. We have a really interesting range of strategies that we've been kind of growing and building. I think we're the second largest sustainable thematic manager in Europe. So putting capital towards, you know, solutions is the third pillar. The fourth is around um, what we don't invest in. So we have quite a detailed uh, policy around coal, uh, unconventional oil and gas, uh, deforestation. So this can lead us to pull away from certain companies, you know, pull away from the darkest brown, go long the Mm -hmm. green. Uh, And then the last investment commitment is around supporting our clients. So we've looked at all the signatories to the asset owner net zero commitment and the insurance commitment, and about 75% of those institutions are either clients or um, companies that, you know, we're hoping to Mm. work with, that we're prioritizing in terms of engaging with them. So beyond our own strategies, how can we really support those Mm. investors in thinking about net zero, accessing the tools that they need to be able to, you know, transition their assets? So those are the five kind of components on the investment side. Uh, beyond that, we have three on stewardship. So we're, you know, quite an active owner if you look at our track record in terms of how we vote, how we engage. So we have three commitments, one on voting, one on company engagement, and one around public policy advocacy, which I think is so important, right? Because we we all know that even though 90% of global GDP has a net zero commitment, uh, the NDCs are not currently living up to that. And even the existing NDCs are not backed up by the right economic in- you know, incentives. We need to push policymakers to do more to price externalities and remove unproductive subsidies. So I think that the investment community has a pretty significant and untapped <laughs> role to play in terms of really working together in the way that we have done around initiatives like Climate Action 100+. Plus but focused on climate action 20 plus, right? Really focusing on the G20. Mm. Uh, So those are kind of three commitments around stewardship. And then just finally, you know, as I mentioned, we're very focused on walking the talk. So we have um, a commitment around our own operational emissions, um, which is something we've been working on for years in terms of reducing those. Uh, And then also, you know, doing climate aligned reporting. So as a TCFD member, you know, myself, I think it's, of course, important that we're providing TCFD aligned reporting uh, to our clients and to, you know, broader stakeholders who want to understand what we're doing. So I think implicit to those five pillars that you've just outlined, Jane, is this question between um, decarbonizing a portfolio versus effectuating real world outcomes. And, And so how do you think about that within your role? In that you're providing solutions for clients that are decarbonizing, but there's this clear focus on stewardship and advocacy that would go towards that real world outcome. Yeah, look, I mean, I I don't think it's either or. Mm. You know, I think they're both tools in our toolkit that we need to use. So, you know, we've transitioned, um, I think, more than 70% of our ETF range, for example, to using Paris Line benchmarks. Uh, So, you know, building decarbonization into those types of investment products, as I mentioned, you know, decarbonizing the entire, um, you know, portfolio is is part of our commitment and how we can kind of measure and report on progress and success. But we also need to support companies and countries that have a lot of work to do in transition. And, you know, the reason that I'm I'm here this week is that I was in Asia last week uh, and I I joined... um, as a member of, of MAS's uh, new sustainable finance advisory group. And we spent um, some time together last week in Singapore talking about, you know, the role that they can play in supporting the transition in Asia. 
and a big focus on, um, you know, the transition finance as a term is really taking mm. hold. And, and, you know, for me, the big question is like, well, transition to, to what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Um, and so we really need to lean into that continued ambition towards net zero. Um, and that's not always the mm. case, right? In, in Asia, and, and there are real challenges, um, and not just in Asia, all around the world. Uh, so how do we focus on you know, pushing countries and companies on that pathway and just, you know, divesting is, is not going to get us there. Right. So there are certain, you know, lines that, um, you know, are firm lines for us in terms of, of no new coal and those kinds of things. But I think, you know, there is a role, of course, for global investors to play in supporting companies, engaging with them, talking to them about how they're transitioning at what pace, how can you show us, your CapEx, OpEx, different um, investments that you're making that can give us confidence that you're transitioning onto that pathway, um, which, you know, can lead us then to continue to support you as an investor. Uh, so I, I think it's really important to be present. And we have an incredibly large um, investment, um, you know, community of, of BNP Paribas Asset Management staff, you know, in many countries in Asia on the ground who really know a lot of these companies and meet with them regularly. So, you know, my team, the Sustainability Center, really spends time working with them um, and our local investment offices and investment staff are, are really on the front line of engaging with those companies as long-term owners. So I, I definitely think that we need both of those tools and, and mm, beyond. I, I kind of think of uh, decarbonization as the ultimate improv yes and, <laughs> as opposed to an either or. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Um, it's interesting that you, you talk about having um, sat with the, the Monetary Authority of Singapore last week, um, because one of the things that I'm observing and enjoying as a journalist is sort of this this almost race to the top in the Asia Pacific region with uh, different markets um, making commitments around decarbonization and innovation. Uh, so it's it's very interesting to me what you know Monetary Authority of Singapore and uh, you know, other jurisdictions have been announcing of late. Um, must be very exciting to be, be able to participate in some of these initiatives and shape them as an asset manager and on behalf of your clients. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I don't travel all that much. And of course, we try not to fly around the world. I mean, that's kind of um, clearly, you know, misaligned with with the objective. But uh, from from time to time, I do think it's invaluable to sit down with people in the region who are, you know, under pressure from many different stakeholders, and honestly, being pulled in different Mm -hmm. directions, right, to really kind of understand um, that perspective and think about how we can, you know, use our opportunity for influence, which I think is both an opportunity and then an obligation. I mean, if you're committed to net zero and you have the opportunity to influence uh, companies and policymakers, it becomes an obligation, Mm -hmm. right? This is a collective action, um, you know, opportunity in terms of being clear about what the economics are that we think are best positioned to move us through this transition and best enable us to deliver sustainable returns to our clients over the long term. Uh, so I think it's important to be to be part of that discussion. So earlier in our in our conversation, you referenced that you'll be dropping the details of your net zero uh, commitments at COP twenty seven. Um, but so let's talk about COP twenty seven. What are the things you're looking out for um, at at Sharmel Sheikh, uh, and what do you think are some of the commitments that need to happen to bed down the action at, at Glasgow last year um, and and set the pathway for the rest of the decade and towards twenty fifty? 
Yeah, look, I mean, there's so many um, kind of parallel discussions and important pathways that that we and others are, are watching. Uh, so, I mean, part of it is around increased ambition, of course, right? And I think that's from policymakers, um, but it's also from companies and from the investment community. So I think we need to see those stakeholder groups um, ratcheting ambition in parallel. Uh, but it's really also interesting, I think, to see how quickly the ambition has grown uh, and that we need to really see those commitments and that ambition um, reflected in reality, mm. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, I mean, there's been a lot of drum beating and now I think we need to really see, um, you know, the proof is in the pudding. What are people putting forward? So I think, you know, um, for us, releasing our commitment around COP is, is part of that. And I'm sure there will be many other organizations who you know, are um, making strides towards really being science-led and transparent about, okay, well, this is what we said and this is what we're going to do and, and let's have a dialogue about that and and make steps towards implementing it. Um, I also think, you know, of course, in the industry, we're seeing a lot of concern from different stakeholders around, you know, ambition not always being matched by uh, that, that follow-up, right, and that level of science-based transparency. So, I think that there will, you know, continue to be um, a focus on that and, and dialogue around that at, at COP. But I, I think, look, this is a journey. And I think, you know, we're part of the inevitable policy mm-hmm. response um, work uh, sponsored by, by uh, you know, the PRI, a number of, of different asset managers. And it's this whole policy ratchet period is, is really important, but it's not one moment in time. Of course, it's a really important moment to come together to look where we are and see how far we need to continue to go. Um, but we all need to be leaning into this all of mm. the time, not just, just once a year at COP. So I, I think it's an important moment, but it's part of a process that needs to kind of keep going full steam mm. ahead. I think one of the other interesting acts, aspects around COP um, to to nerd out on on, on climate negotiations um, is now this tightened relationship between biodiversity and climate. So, you know, COP15 taking place in Montreal in the lead up. Um, to COP27, sort of mirroring what happened last year. Given the work that BNP Paribas Asset Management has been doing around biodiversity, um, do you see that kind of linkage intensifying and strengthening? And and how do you work with clients around this understanding that, you know, climate and biodiversity are, are so tightly connected together? Absolutely. It's and it's great to um to see the level of focus that kind of finally mm. is is coming on on biodiversity and and nature loss and deforestation more broadly because of course if we don't tackle these issues we're not going to achieve net zero i mean it's not um you know i and i know that there is a kind of capacity challenge sometimes with investors and they say look for the next three years we're just going to focus on climate and then we'll have some time to focus (laughs) on biodiversity and i Mm -hmm. get that um but we don't have the luxury of doing these things one Mm -hmm. at a time right they're interdisciplinary highly related systems and problems and challenges and opportunities to kind of bring together. Uh, so I do think it's great to see that focus. Um, we published last year our biodiversity mm-hmm. roadmap, which goes through you know how we're um, how we're addressing that that issue from you know launching new research, um, sponsoring new indicators, both from private ESG data providers. So you know IDL has has now uh, launched their biodiversity indicator, and in fact earlier this year we published our first. Um, biodiversity snapshot looking at our aggregate corporate mm-hmm. investments. Uh, so that's one element. We we actually made a charitable grant to CDP for them to include and embed some biodiversity related questions in, into their work. 
And with a number of other investors, we've been working on a new initiative, um, Nature mm -hmm. Action 100 Plus, which is really mirror, mirroring Climate Action 100 Plus to um, really focus minds and, and efforts on, you know, the highest impact companies looking at biodiversity loss and deforestation and, and seeing if we can't um, you know, kind of bring together that level of collaboration to uh, push on companies to manage those um, those impacts more closely and more effectively, but also bring that consistency and clarity of thought in terms of what are we asking them to do, right? And and what needs to be in place for them to do that effectively and successfully. Uh, so I think there are a number of different initiatives that we're working on from a policy and a corporate engagement perspective. And then we are also working on the investment strategy side of things, right? Uh, um, in terms of looking at, you know, different strategies that we can put together, whether they're, you know, active or passive and, you know, with a focus on ecosystems and biodiversity. So we're trying to kind of come at it from every angle that we can, you know, as an asset. Another manager. yes and situation. <laughs> exactly. Um, what are some of the challenges and what are some of the opportunities that your clients, particularly here in the Asia Pacific region, identifying when it comes to decarbonization, biodiversity and this this entire set? Um, of considerations? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I would focus mm -hmm. on two things. One is, um, you know, as I've already highlighted, we all know that there's a gap between ambition and mm -hmm. commitment and the current pricing of externalities and um, the way that, that economies and economics currently work. Uh, so I think we need to see continued progress around that. And there needs to just be um, continued leaning in from all of the different stakeholders and, and collaboration around, you know, what needs to happen at a quicker pace than we've seen so far. So that policy um, mismatch, I think, is is a real challenge. Uh, companies will only go so far, um, you know, <laughs> within the context of how things are priced uh, in local economies. And, and so we need to address that. That's a real issue. But there's also an issue around mental models, right? And the tendency to continue with business as usual, this is how things work, this is how I do things, these are the technologies I know, these are the people I know, my suppliers, my friends. Um, so, you know, getting out of that um, kind of mental model, you know, one of someone at, at this meeting last week with MAS said, uh, you know, net, net zero is no longer an engineering challenge. Mm -hmm. It's a people challenge. It's a mindset challenge. Right. So how do we feel empowered? How do we feel not just the ambition, but, you know, the pressure to like, we have to do this now, right? This region has the most work to do. It's the hardest for sure here. Uh, but this region has the most to lose, right? With the catastrophic impacts of, of climate. Um, if you look at the impact on people, on cities, on economies, right? So I think just getting that into people's mindsets and shifting um, the focus so that we all feel stressed out mm. <laughs> around like, let's do this together. And by having that joint commitment, we turn that stress that many of us feel who work in the industry into collection, collective focus on, on making that short term progress. So I think the two are connected, but it's, you know, how can we do more board work? How can we do more work with investment committees, work with um, with CEOs and excos around, you know, what are the technologies? What is the possibility? What is the physical risk of unmitigated climate change? Of course, we're all seeing it around the world more quickly mm -hmm. than many had anticipated. But what's next? What does it mean for me, for my supply chain, for my employees? Right? And let's let's pivot from that um, growing knowledge to to growing action. 
Thanks for listening to the Greener Way podcast. If you like today's show, remember to rate and review us on your podcast platform and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Any feedback? Contact us on podcast at fssustainability.com.au. I'm Rachel Allen Backus. The Greener Way podcast is a product of FS Sustainability, a show about people, the planet, and investing in our collective future. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. The Greener Way podcast gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by discussing numerous financial sustainable options and our featured guests. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of The Greener Way are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. FS Sustainability operates under an Australian Financial Service License and the exemption made available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect to any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the FS Sustainability website, fssustainability.com.au.